1: I'm Dana Humphrey. I'm joined today by Mary Christie Institute's Executive Director and co-host of this podcast, Marjorie Melpedi, and Dr. Rick Miller, the founding chair of the Coalition for Transformational Education and the founding president of Olin College of Engineering, a position he held until 2020. Thank you both for being here. Welcome to the Quadcast. Thank you, Dana. I can't tell you how excited I am to be a guest.
2: Thank you. It's very nice to be here.
1: We are doing something A bit different on today's episode, we have Marge on the other side of the desk, so to speak, but our two organizations are partnering on a new publication, which we launched earlier this week. Learning Well is a magazine at the intersection of higher education and lifelong well-being. We'd like to let you all know how we got here and what we're planning to do with this publication. So Marge, if you could just start by explaining what is this new magazine all about? Sure, Dana, I'm
0: excited to do so. So Learning Well is by and for people in higher education, behavioral health, and really any field or discipline, people who are interested in understanding how to help young people thrive. So this obviously could be parents, employers, and of course, students themselves. Our topic areas on the new website are flourishing mental health, teaching and learning, equity and access, and then we have a perspectives column. It is a digital publication. We really love the design. We worked with a terrific design firm out of New York. Learning Well is online right now. We did a big announcement this week, and we hope that people go to the website. We're also going to be doing annual printed edition once a year. This It'll come out in January of 2024. So the magazine includes news and editorial, profiles, storytelling, with a real focus on research and evidence-based practices that help many of the people who are listening to this podcast with the good work that they are already doing with students. So we're really hoping to create a community through learning. This is not just for people singing off the same choir sheet. There are so many different voices and perspectives that need to be part of this conversation on how higher education can become a stronger agent in the mental health and well-being of young people. And Dana, as you know from the data, the need to do this
1: is really nothing short of urgent. Thanks so much, Marge. I wonder if you could give us a few highlights of the inaugural I don't think we would call it an issue, but inaugural launch of the magazine. What are some of the articles that we have up right now?
0: I'm so glad you asked because we're
1: pretty excited about the initial lineup. So we
0: have a story about how to measure well-being among college students. In the mental health category, we've got stories about new programs for students, but also a feature on the mental health of faculty and staff by Nicole Bernier, which was really surprising. And I think the readers will find it very interesting. Under teaching and learning, we have a profile on how Wake Forest is teaching character within their leadership programs. So really interesting profile on that. A lot of great people in that story. Our equity and access category has a lot of, we've got a, a couple of really good stories Starting with releasing brand new research from the Steve Fund, which is the leading organization for supporting college students of color. So the Steve Fund has a survey and a report on the experiences young black professionals are reporting at work and what employers can do about that. And also in that category, we have an op-ed from Lynn Pascarella, the president of the AACNU on the Supreme Court decision on students for fair admissions. And that was a very well-written piece, of course, by by Lynn with some interesting perspective that may be a bit surprising for folks. So in our perspectives column, we have Q&A columns from three college presidents, including Dr. Wayne Frederick, who is the outgoing president of Howard University. I think we've got about 14 stories in this first issue. So we're really excited about it.
1: Yes, we are. And I am so excited for everybody to get to read all of the articles in the magazine. With that, let's move on. Rick, as I mentioned, Learning Well is jointly published by both MCI and the Coalition for Transformational Education. Can you tell us a little bit about the coalition and what prompted you to want to expand in this way?
2: Sure. Thank you. It's really a privilege to join you today and to have an opportunity to address the MCI audience as well. The coalition is probably not as well known in the MCI audience as the mental health community it is part of what we do, but it's not the whole thing. So where did it start and what is it about? The coalition began really with some exploratory meetings at Chicago O'Hare Airport between about 20 college leaders, presidents and provosts from different institutions, who were brought together by some very interesting data. The data at that point was from, the, from Gallup organization. It was the Gallup-Purdue Index. The largest survey of what really matters in life as seen through the lens of college alumni, relating this back to their experiences as an undergraduate. And what the data showed, which was really surprising to a lot of us, was the answers to two sets of questions seemed to be very predictive of well-being long after graduation. And the first set of questions had to do with somebody cared about me as a person, disarming personal feeling about belonging and about identity development the other set of questions had to do with the opportunity to apply what you learned in a real world context while you're still a student so college is not just about books and tests college is about life and you and this is what happens outside the classroom as well this is really about building agency and taking key ideas and learning that you can apply them and make a difference today those two things according to the gallup data led to a doubling of the well-being of graduates decades after they left school. Really surprising. And then, of course, later on, we heard from our friends at Bates College about something they call the Purposeful Work Project, which has a modest intervention in the undergraduate curriculum that produces about an order of magnitude or a factor of 10 increase in well-being later on. So these ideas really have to do with the development of belonging and identity, with the development of agency and development of purpose in young people. And they have major payoffs. This is across all institutions. This is across all demographics. Very powerful. But it's not on the radar for what most colleges and faculty think about when they're developing a curriculum. Fast forwarding a bit till today, we have between 15 and 20 major universities involved with us now, and they are all involved in faculty-driven interventions in undergraduate curriculum, which are evidence-based, which means you have to assess it or you can't develop evidence. And these interventions are not aimed at a specific narrow population, which have, might have special needs, but rather for every student. So they are these interventions are intended to address every enrolled student. You should think general education. And then finally, Our primary focus is not the graduation rate, it's not the retention from one year to the next, it's not the starting salary, but it's fundamentally the well-being, the impact on graduates many years after the college experience. This is what it's about. It's really a kind of public health initiative in higher education. Rather than focusing on putting fires out, it's focusing on preventing fires to begin with. So why did we get involved with the Mary Christie Institute. Well, our framing of what well-being is about, which is a large topic, which I think is even addressed in one of the articles in this inaugural issue of learning well, this framing that we're using involves health and well-being as one of five dimensions. And probably it's the most prominent flashing light on the dashboard today for many colleges and universities. It's As you all know, particularly this audience, mental health crisis is really enormous and consuming resources and interfering with many, many lives. So that's one of the five things that we do. And the Mary Christie Institute has done such wonderful work in this area that we were drawn together on common cause. But most people don't know yet about the coalition's effort, and we need to get the word out. And we believe that journalism of this kind, which is not Faculty members talking to other faculty members about narrow research topics, but in is a, a big tent notion of welcoming people who are maybe parents or even trustees or media or legislators or folks from outside of higher education to benefit from what the research is about. That this method would be very beneficial for getting our word out.
0: I just have to say, Rick, Dana, we have to have Rick do more marketing for us because that was such an eloquent summary of sort of where we've come as an organization and actually where we're going. And I I just can't say enough about the partnership with Rick and his team at the CTE.
1: I have to say, I love the outlook of the coalition and the fact that it is so grounded in research and a public health approach. That's my background, so I am a big cheerleader of the coalition's mission. Marge, I think I know uh, the answer to this question, but to share with our audience, how does Learning Well expand on MCI's previous work and publications in well-being? Sure. We got into this
0: work about seven years ago when the data were beginning to show steep increases in anxiety and depression among college students and that was in addition to the inclusion of many young people with mental health conditions who are now able to go to college. So these sort of the confluence of factors really challenged the traditional counseling center model at colleges and universities. And that was a big part of our early examination, our research, our convenings, and what we wrote about that was the burning question that we were asking college presidents when we founded the Mary Christie Institute, is what are you doing to address the service delivery issues of your students? And rightly so, they were focused on those questions and answers. But the longer we worked on this, the more apparent it became that mental health problems that the students were reporting had a lot to do with environmental factors, right? Which begged much more of a public health approach to not just addressing their issues, but getting ahead of them by helping them flourish overall. So obviously you see the synergies to what Rick was just talking about in the development of the CTE. So the question now for college and university leadership got a little more complex, because this is now not just about reducing wait times at the counseling center, it's about what you teach, how you learn, how students are experiencing college and particularly students with marginalized identities. But again, all students and what opportunities, potential responsibilities, we would argue, do institutions have to really steer and develop the human side of their students. So not just working on their workforce development, their career development, but also their personal development. So as you can imagine, Rick and I met a few years ago and just obviously immediately saw the synergies in both of these organizations and decided to jump into this endeavor together. And it's been terrific.
1: So as you mentioned, Learning Well is going to cover more subjects than our previous publications have, more inputs to well-being, cover well-being across the lifetime. Can you talk a little bit about what void you think the magazine fills in covering these subjects?
2: Well, there isn't a lot of information that's available about connecting the dots between how you teach and what you teach at the undergraduate level and what the long-term outcomes are many years later. I can tell you, I gave a talk some years ago at the National Science Foundation about engineering. It wasn't really about equations. My talk was about teaching and about how the impact of students is developed. We talked a lot about Special cases of kids who had ADHD or who had some kind of anxiety disorder as an undergraduate and how this prevented them from excelling and then changing the framing in a course so that it wasn't about books and tests, but it was about a project that included clients completely changed that equation. There were like 45 minutes of questions after this from people in the room, not about the engineering topics, but about their own children. Uh, became really clear there's a demand for this. There's a great need in our community to make the best practices and the best learning accessible to people who aren't specialists in the field.
0: I would agree with Rick on all that. And it's funny, we went into this really thinking this is sort of the alternative to academic journals. It's not peer-reviewed, it's a magazine. And one of the reasons is that, it's funny, the more people we got to know in higher ed, the more we were hearing that, that as important as peer-reviewed journals are for publishing, there was sort of this less-than-robust readership around them from, again, broader audiences. So what we wanted to do is certainly focus on the research and the evidence-based practices that we want to share, but also open this up so that it's more accessible to, as Rick suggested, broader audiences And also in terms of the reporting, and Dana, you know this because you're the research editor. I mean, we are excited to report on research, but we're looking at it in a slightly different way, like maybe interviewing young graduate students who are working on research and considering what they might publish. Why? What motivates them? We have a young graduate student who is a doctoral candidate who actually wrote the story on the wellness metrics. And it was amazing. I think she did an incredible job. And again, someone who you may not hear from regularly. So there's that. And also, we're we're covering these issues in different ways. We're really talking about and to the people that are doing this work, right? So yeah, we do hear from leaders and we continue to interview college presidents, but we're also talking to faculty, we're talking to staff, we're talking to students, we're talking to specialists in all sorts of different areas. And I think that really opens
1: up this examination that we're pretty excited about. Thanks, Marge. And I will just jump in here as the data nerd that I am. We're so excited to build out our research piece of this new magazine. We are really hoping to have a section that focuses on research translation, going into the research journals and taking those articles and publications that might not be read, that might be You know, stuck out there in the ether and bring them into our audience and really condense them into a digestible format so that more people have eyes on this important research.
0: And Dana, I may jump in there just with a message to the audience. For all of those researchers out there, as well as practitioners and people involved in this work, care about this work, this is also a forum for all of you. So, one of the things, Rick and I are actually just working on a purpose statement, and I and one of the things that we're really focused on is making sure that we listen as well as report. So we really want contributions from people who are out there, and we're soliciting them. We can talk a little bit more about that in terms of how to get your ideas into learning well, because we really want to encourage broad contribution.
2: Yeah. Could, could I add just one thing to our hopes for the subjects that this magazine will cover? And that is that the, that the coalition that I'm working with has interests beyond the mental health crisis. And so we're hoping that in the future, the issues covered by the magazine will expand to include subjects like, for example, the financial well-being of people as they graduate, not meaning looking for people who will become hedge fund managers in New York City, but making sure that every graduate has a likely clear path to becoming financially sustainable so that they're not obsessed with fear about housing, food, and medical care. Also, that they have a sense of civic engagement, a belonging in a community beyond their family, and of course, a sense of purpose in their life. These things we know correlate with an engaged workforce. And so, the investigation of the views and the feelings of people in the corporate world who take the graduates of college and enfold them into a long-term workforce will also be very interesting to correlate with our data.
0: Yeah. And Rick, not to contradict, because I couldn't agree with you more, but I would look at that as actually synonymous with overall mental health. When you think about the, de- the social and environmental determinants of mental health and, you know, the affordability of college, financial implications of higher ed. I think in some ways, all of this sort of comes together in a much larger category around overall flourishing. So I would agree with you.
2: Yeah, absolutely right. Well-being is a very comprehensive topic. And I think one of the things we're hoping to avoid is framing this as personal well-being and feelings on the one hand versus workforce skills and thriving in the corporate world later. They're two sides of the same coin, and we hope to bring those things together.
1: Marge, I think you're right. We do need to use Rick more for our marketing. It's so lovely to hear you talk about these topics. On that, I think that's a good segue into talking a little bit about our editorial board because we have members from across the well-being spectrum. Marge, can you talk a little bit about the role of the board and what kind of people we're attracting? Sure.
0: And I'm not going to name drop, even though I'm so tempted to do so because then I'd have to name everybody. But our website includes all of our editorial board. These are individuals that bring expertise and advice to our content and to sort of what cumulatively we are offering our readers. So from a very, I would say, self-interested perspective, we went out and really looked to bring in people who could provide high-quality advice in those areas. And we also looked for different perspectives, so people who are going to challenge you know, the status quo or challenge us to to make content better, more more innovative and independent. So we have experts in journalism. We have journalists. We have thought leaders. We have a couple of the most, I would say, renowned health center directors in the country, counseling center directors. On the mental health side, we have amazing higher ed leaders, and we're looking to get a few more people to join the board. I know, Rick, you've talked a lot about this, and it's important. People from industry, as Rick just said, the financial aspect of higher ed is something we're looking at. So it will grow over time, but we're hoping that these folks, there's four meetings a year, and then we're going to work with them in between those that are really going to add to the content and help direct us in telling us what voices aren't part of the conversation and should be. And also, again, very self-interestedly, they are also people that have great networks and we really want to make this, as, as Rick said, as big a tent as possible. So opening doors to people who may want to add their voices to Learning Well.
1: Thanks, Marge. I may ask, Rick, if you could just quickly talk about your view of the role of the editorial board and maybe also touch on the magazine's independent coverage and your view of that. I know those are slightly different topics, but I wonder if you could just answer those.
2: Well, sure. The, The real value and the uniqueness of this Learning Well magazine is the fact that it is written by professional journalists. It's not written by faculty members talking to other faculty members. And it's broadened its scope so that it's not just about how to do a better job of econometrics in the field of business or, or psychometrics for kids who are not feeling well. This is about the whole person and the whole industry of higher ed. So independence, I think, is really important here. The, and that also has to do with the financial model for the journal as well. The editorial board, in my view, is critical for what we're trying to do. Uh, We're hoping to identify people who have best practices that we all could learn from, that have done amazing work that is illustrative in many different institutions, put them on stage, take their message, and share it broadly with the population who has an interest in the future of this country, which is all about young people. This editorial board has personal awareness through lived experience and through their professional career of these kinds of best practices and can lead us to the individuals that we need to be interviewing and the, the programs that we need to be emphasizing for others to see. I think, you know, it's just getting started. that We haven't really seen yet the impact of the editorial board on the future of the journal because we haven't had enough time, but it certainly will as the future unfolds. And Marge said, I think everything that we can about the quality of these, individ- these are the go-to people on my short Rolodex where I would call for personal advice on where the future is heading. They are, I think, the best source of guidance on who's doing what and what projects are likely to matter in the future that I could find.
1: Thanks, Rick. And as Marge said, our editorial board is on the magazine's website. So so we're not picking favorites. I just encourage everybody to go and look at all of the impressive names we have up there. So on that, Marge, how do we get Learning Well? Where is it? When does it come out? I know everybody listening to this is so anxious to read it. So how do we get it? That's a
0: good question, Dana. It's funny. <laughs> you could probably answer but
1: <laughs> I can't. Dana,
0: by the way, I have to say she's the managing editor of Learning Well, and we would not be here without her because she makes the trains run on this. In fact, I'll just take a minute too, because our, our whole team and Rick's team as well have just been terrific partners. It's so great to have people so dedicated to making something successful. So to Dana and the MCI team and to Rick, And the team there at CTE we just couldn't be happier to to work with such dedicated people. The URL is learningwellmag.org. And you will notice when you go to the site that there is a sign-up for continuing, what do we call it? Keep Learning Well, right, Dana? keep learning well. Mm -hmm. So you sign up for the monthly newsletter if you're not already part of the MCI or the CTE mailing list. And we will send out a monthly newsletter with refreshed Learning Well content. And of course, you can go to the website at any time. We're also going to be pushing this out on social media if you prefer to get your information that
1: way. And I'm forgetting what I'm missing on that, Dana. The only thing to add is just that there will be new content weekly, new content every Monday, and we will only send you an email a month. So we really encourage you to subscribe because I think it's going to be such incredible content. And I can't thank Marjorie and Rick enough for coming together to build this magazine from the ground up.
0: Thank you so much, Dana. So glad to have this opportunity to actually talk probably more than I should have about this exciting endeavor. We're super super excited to be doing it.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for being here, both of you.
0: This has been the Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to Institute.org where you can sign up for our other programs like the MC feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.